Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey everyone and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host Heather Ashley and today's case is out of North Carolina and it is tragic and messy and infuriating. Small talk sucks so let's dive in. Once upon a time in the mid-2000s, a couple named Laura and Robert fell in love. Robert was a proud member of the Lumbee tribe, and that's something his family took wholehearted pride in. The couple wasn't rich, and their relationship was far from perfect, but they made it work. Robert worked whenever he could while Laura went to school. Laura's grandmother knew they were struggling, so she let them live in a trailer that she owned. In 2009, Laura got pregnant, and in July of 2010, they welcomed their first baby, a girl they named Savannah. But despite now being a family of three, the relationship was very hot and cold. A few months after Savannah was born, the pair split, but in March of 2011, Laura decided that her and Robert were going to try and make things work. And it looks like it kind of did, because just six months later, they got hitched. Two months after getting married, Laura found out she was pregnant with their second child, and lo and behold, it was going to be another girl. Throughout the second pregnancy, the relationship continued in its toxicity, plagued with jealousy and relationship drama plastered all over Facebook for the world to see, but they stuck it out, and on June 23rd of 2012, the couple welcomed their second daughter, who they named Peyton. The relationship drama continues, even as parents of two, and everything looks like it finally comes to its final head in November of 2014. Laura was done and claims that Robert wouldn't leave the trailer, so instead, she left, leaving her two daughters to live with their father at the trailer her grandmother had provided. But without Laura, the trailer didn't last long, and in early 2015, Robert decided to sign over his rights to Laura's mother, Lisa, and the girls went to live with her and her husband in Willard. Well, at least Peyton did. It's unclear if the girls were split up amongst grandparents, but Peyton definitely went to live with Laura's mother, Lisa. Now, anyone who's been involved in any kind of custody battle knows that that whole process doesn't happen easily or quickly, so clearly there's more to this story. Laura reacts to the loss of her girls by getting each of their names tattooed on opposite wrists and says, now I have my girls permanently. 
Peyton's life at her grandmother's house seems pretty stable from the outside looking in. At this point in time, it's just her and her grandmother's husband, Dale, and it looks like she sees her mom every few months or so. As for Laura, she goes on living the single life, dating here and there, and frankly, the dating drama is messy and all over Facebook, but whatever. That is what it is. She posts a million memes about love, hate, fuckboys, weed, you know, the usual. Her house gets broken into at one point, and her TV gets stolen, and at two points, she seems to allude to being suicidal and that no one would miss her if she was gone. But in late April of 2018, she leaves her current boyfriend, who may or may not have had two children with other women while they were dating, and moves 60 miles away to the Lumberton area near her mom so that she can be closer to her girls, bouncing between her grandmother's house, her grandfather's house, and her sister's house. It starts to look like Laura's getting her life together. She gets her old job back, then gets a new one at Family Dollar and is even promoted to assistant manager. And she finally seems to be seeing her daughters on a more regular basis. It definitely seems like she's able to see Savannah more than Peyton, but nonetheless, she's a more regular part of their lives than she had been for the past couple of years. On November 10th, 2017, Laura's 19-year-old brother, David Prevet, moves back in with his mom and stepdad and now 5-year-old Peyton after getting dumped by his girlfriend over his excessive porn usage. No one could have imagined what was going to happen in just three days. What had seemingly been the most stable home Peyton had ever known would become her nightmare. At 5.43 a.m. on Monday, November 13, 2017, WWAY reports that the Pender County Sheriff's Department was contacted by a nurse at Pender Memorial Hospital after a five-year-old girl was brought in with injuries consistent with assault. Peyton's uncle David and stepfather Dale had brought Peyton into the emergency room limp with no vital signs. David claimed that he had found her that morning in her bed seizing. Neither of them had called 911. Star News Online was able to get a copy of the 911 call from the nurse, and in it, you hear her tell the dispatcher that she has a five-year-old who was brought in who's now intubated. They don't know the cause of the state she's in, but does note that the little girl had what strongly appeared to be strangulation marks around her neck. The nurse says she's being airlifted to New Hanover Regional Medical Center in Wilmington and asks that a deputy and social services meet her there. Peyton was in critical condition. WWAY obtained the initial report, and according to that, it indicated that Peyton had not only been strangled, but she had also been sexually assaulted. Her condition only worsened as the hours went by and all of her motor functions and brain activity ceased. On the 14th, her mother Laura posted on Facebook that Peyton had officially been declared brain dead. The following morning on November 15th, Peyton was prepared for organ donation and removed from life support. Her death was as a result of her injuries and immediately ruled a homicide. The community is panicking because who the fuck could do something like this to a child? But the police quickly release a statement saying the community doesn't need to be concerned with a suspect being at large because it was an isolated event. 
How in the free hell would anyone know if this was an isolated event? And unless someone's in custody, they're at fucking large and it's time to panic. Lock your doors and panic. As annoyed as I am by their statement, it does give us a little insight into who they think might have done it and or why. With no one in custody and insinuating that this was personal, which is why whoever did this isn't a so-called threat to the community, which we can all agree is bullshit. They have to be thinking that it was someone in the house and there were only three other people who lived there and only one new tenant. Three days new. On November 25th, her father's 33rd birthday, Peyton was laid to rest and her memorial service was a sea of purple. It was her favorite color and everyone who loved her wanted to honor that. On November 30th, WWAY gets wind of a search warrant that had been signed pertaining to the case, so naturally, they tried to get a copy of it, but they were denied. It had been sealed at the request of one of the investigators, citing that it would be detrimental to the case if the details of the search warrant were released. Okay, so it either had witness names they wanted to protect, statements from a minor, or there's something in it that they think only her killer would know and they want to keep that close to the vest. While they weren't able to get the warrant, they were able to speak to Peyton's cousin Cassidy, who gives the impression that at least Peyton's father's side of the family is just kind of in the dark. The only update they've gotten is that DNA was collected and they're waiting on results. She tells the station that she can't sleep at night and feels like this case is going around and around and that no one really seems to care. She says that Peyton is relying on them for answers and that the family wants some kind of answer as to who did this to her little cousin. She posts on Facebook that she'll call the press. She'll call the State Bureau of Investigators. She will stop at nothing until there is justice for Peyton. Her father, Robert, tells the station that if the sheriff's department can't do it right, then someone else needs to take over the case who can. And the community is just as impatient as Robert and Cassidy. A woman who lived just three minutes down the road from Peyton says that she too is pissed that the sheriff's department hasn't done anything yet. It seems pretty open and closed, but there were no signs of forced entry, there was no report of a break-in, and there were three other people in that house. Narrow it down. While everyone is watching and waiting for updates, creeping Facebook, and reading every article they can find, people start to notice that Peyton's grandmother is pretty silent, at least when it comes to her granddaughter. She had plenty of silly memes to post, but she wasn't posting about Peyton. She didn't seem to be rallying for justice like Robert and his side of the family were. And I mean, she lives in the house Peyton was assaulted in. You'd think she might want whoever did it to lay their head on a different bed, you know? Someone actually winds out calling her out on her posts seeming inappropriate and Lisa's response was that she posts them to make herself laugh and that everyone deals with things differently. Okay. Her father makes a Facebook post on the same day about another case which was similar to Peyton's where the grandmother's boyfriend was the perpetrator and it's alleged in the comments that the same goes for Peyton. And when you dig deep enough, you can find posts from Robert's side of the family that agree at least a little bit. They all seem to agree that someone living in that house did this and, well, logic. 
On December 8th, CBS 17 is able to get a statement from the sheriff's office about why there hasn't been more information about the progress of this investigation and who might be responsible for the sexual assault and strangulation of a five-year-old in their community. And the answer they get is pretty standard. In a nutshell, they say they're protecting the integrity of the case and add, there's nothing at all in this investigation that leads us to believe there's any other person that's in danger or in jeopardy. It's a tragic situation. It's a very bad thing that happened to Peyton, and we have no reason to believe that there's a person targeting other persons. This is an isolated event. That was easily one of the most poorly prepared statements to date, but let's continue on. At this point in my research, I was getting annoyed with the lack of progress myself, considering the potential suspect pool seems to be pretty small, so I ran criminal checks on everyone living at the house at the time of Peyton's murder. I started with Dale, he was 50 at the time, and holy shitballs, dude man has one hell of a rap sheet. It's a little long, but necessary, so bear with me. I found loitering or prowling, aggravated battery, battery, aggravated assault, DUI, assault on a female, probation violations, and more. And while all of that is horrible and intriguing, this is where things get really interesting. On November 13th, 2017, the day he and David brought Peyton to the hospital, he was charged with possession of a firearm by a felon. If I had to guess, during the first hours of their investigation, they went to the home and, in turn, found a felon with a weapon. After Dale, I gave David a search, and even at 19, he too had a record, but it all started after Peyton's murder. In March of 2018, he was charged with felony breaking and entering after he broke into a neighbor's house and stole a laptop and pawned it. In April of 2018, he was charged with burning a building that was under construction. It was his ex-girlfriend's trailer that was being remodeled, and after getting into a fight with her, he decided to burn it down. Later that same month, he was charged with, wait for it, intimidating a witness. What witness? And for what case? This guy knows he's under suspicion of murder at this point, and now is when he decides to start breaking into people's houses, lighting them on fire, and intimidating witnesses. And as if this behavior wasn't suspect enough, in June of 2018, while in jail, he gets charged with communicating threats. I looked up the third member of the household, Lisa, for good measure, and I didn't find anything, and frankly, I didn't think I would. There was a lot of early speculation about Dale, but David's intimidating a witness and communicating threats charges just months after Peyton's murder makes me wonder if they've been looking at the wrong guy. But let's get back to the case. As of December 20th of 2017, more than a month after Peyton's brutal murder, WWAY finds out that her autopsy isn't even completed yet. No cause of death has been released whatsoever. I get that toxicology can take 6 to 10 weeks, but generally a preliminary death certificate is issued and a medical amendment is made once the toxicology reports are back, but in Peyton's case, there's just nothing. They wait a little while, hoping the results will come any day, but December ends and January begins, and there's still no autopsy. January ends and February begins, and still there's no autopsy. What in the flat earth could possibly be causing this little girl's autopsy to be taking so long? 
On February 8th of 2018, WWAY decided enough was enough and went to bat for Peyton demanding answers. Why have there been no updates? Why have there been no arrests? And why hasn't her autopsy been completed? According to the sheriff's office, they too have yet to get a copy of her autopsy. That aside, they do tell the station that two tests from her rape kit have come back. One came back on December 2nd and another on January 12th, but the entire test itself is also still not completed. So, everyone is left to continue and wait like they have been doing since November. In late March of 2018, WWAY asked again if the autopsy had been completed and instead of any answer as to why it's taking so long, they're told that the law allows them to take six months. If it does take that long, it should be finished around mid-May and it's looking more and more like that's what's going to happen. This is by far the slowest autopsy I've ever come across, and I genuinely don't understand why, but locals are talking and they're saying that big mistakes were made at the beginning of this case that could potentially ruin all chances of ever seeing justice. A candlelight vigil is held in her honor at what better place than the Pender County Courthouse. 50 people attend and all demand justice for this sweet girl. Finally, on May 29th, WWAY gets a little bit of information about the autopsy report, and the details are grim. The report noted that there were ligature marks around Peyton's neck, which would indicate that she was strangled with an object and not hands. It also said that she had a bruise on her right lung and was slightly hemorrhaging into her abdomen due to what they believe was a sexual assault. Peyton had been brutally tortured. Her death was long, drawn out, and excruciating, and whoever did it to her is walking the streets, free as a bird, doing whatever the fuck they want. The following day, WECT gets even more information, and I'm big mad fuming over it. According to them, the final autopsy report noted that some of her family members at the hospital told them that Peyton had had an upper respiratory infection for the past few days that had been progressively getting worse. However, other family members told them that she had been perfectly fine until she was found seizing by her uncle. This child had ligature marks around her neck and had been clearly sexually assaulted, and you have family members trying to push some BS about a respiratory infection, as if no one was going to notice the marks on her neck and the evidence of sexual assault. Someone tried to explain away her injuries. Peyton's ultimate cause of death was ruled to be from the strangulation. On June 22nd of 2018, seven months after she was killed, a suspect was finally named. And you guys, we fucking nailed it. The suspect was none other than Peyton's uncle, David Prevett, the one who had moved in just three days prior to her attack. By the time he's finally named a suspect, he's already in jail for burning down his ex-girlfriend's trailer. The following month is when he gets the communicating threats charge, and just wait until you hear where they came from. 
According to WWAY, David called his mom from jail and said, When I get out, Leatherwood got it coming to him, and I'll probably go back to jail. Leatherwood is coming to an end, and I've been in here plotting. I hope they know that. That's all I've been doing. Leatherwood is the lead investigator in Peyton's case. And yes, they do know now because all jail phone calls are recorded. Not only is David stupid as fuck, but I think it's important to note that he felt comfortable having this conversation with his mother. As more details come to light, I learned that in the initial days of the investigation, the State Bureau of Investigators issued two polygraph tests, one to Dale and one to David. Dale passed and David failed, miserably to be exact. You guys know that I take polygraphs with a grain of salt, but as always, it's worth mentioning, especially when we consider that they were only given to two of the three people at the house. It's clear they had two people in mind. In September of 2018, WECT actually gets a jailhouse interview with David, and he is what they describe as jovial, even laughing and smiling at times, adamant that he had nothing to do with Peyton's murder. He told the reporter only God and Peyton know exactly what happened. Yeah, God, Peyton, and the guy who did it to her. He goes on to say that he doesn't even think she was murdered. He thinks she died from a seizure, regardless of the fact that the autopsy indicates otherwise. The reporter went on to ask if he or anyone else had any enemies, you know, seeing if he knew of anyone else who could have done this, and he took the bait. He told the reporter he thinks he knows who did it. I mean, two minutes ago, he thought only God and Peyton knew. Then he said he didn't even think she was murdered, and now he's saying she was and that he thinks he knows who did it. Now, if this were the case, certainly he'd be singing like a bird, right? Trying to get the police off of him or hell, even going after the person himself. But no, none of that happened. He goes on to claim that he performed CPR on her after allegedly finding her in the middle of a seizure and that it couldn't have been him because why would he perform CPR? Why would he take her to the hospital? Why would he wait at the hospital if he was the one who attacked her? When the autopsy findings of sexual assault were brought up, he said he knew for a fact that that wasn't true, but couldn't come up with any explanation as to how. After their jailhouse interview, the outlet was able to get a quote from Peyton's mother, Laura, who said, There is no way that my brother did this. I believe he is innocent and the detective has it out for him. I honestly just can't. On December 8, 2018, WECT gets access to the newly unsealed documents from the beginning of the investigation, and it says that David seemed nervous during the initial search of the Blackwater Drive home, but not nervous enough to keep him from using racial slurs at one of the black officers performing the search. During that search, they found KKK written on his bedroom wall. Peyton was mixed. The document also stated that Dale seemed irritated about the search. And as far as evidence goes, they collected several phone charging cords, clothes, a pillow from the couch she was found on, and other items. Now, the reports I've read said that she was found in her bedroom, but maybe there was a couch in there, or maybe the reports were wrong. But nonetheless, we know David found her on a couch. 
And to me, it looks like they may believe she was strangled with one of those charging cords. I don't think they collected them because their batteries were running low. They also took DNA from Dale and David, and more recently, in July of 2018, just five months before this document was unsealed, a warrant was requested to obtain Peyton's grandmother's DNA as well. A few weeks later, a new sheriff is elected and tells WWAY that he wants to put a new emphasis on Peyton's case and that he's fully invested on getting answers. So there's hope, but nothing happens. In January of 2020, David is released from prison and his family is there to back him up. His sister tells WWAY, 911 was called twice, but we did not get a connection. That's why they took off in the car to go drive. Who's we? Was she there too? And if that's true, that they tried to call 911, cell records would at the very least show the outgoing calls because this is the first that we've ever heard that 911 was even attempted to be called by anyone from inside that house. The station brings up the sexual assault and David's sister tells them that she doesn't believe that, that she was born with birthmarks. They're known as Mongolian spots. They come out looking like bruises. I could come up with a million remarks about how absolutely asinine that statement is, but frankly, it's just offensive that she thinks that every member of Peyton's medical staff, including the medical examiner, is that stupid. I'd also like to mention that Mongolian spots don't cause hemorrhaging. Later in 2020, the National Black Leadership Caucus held a press conference asking for charges to be filed in Peyton's murder. One of the members saying, What's been released to the public so far has definitely been concerning. It's been said that the suspect in this case, David Prevett, has been known for having intense racial hatred, a history of violence, and other criminal charges that he's currently in prison for now. But he wasn't in prison long. I looked up his incarceration status, and as of now, it looks like David is under what's called supervised custody, which from what I can tell means that he's out of prison and basically on probation. And to this day, there has been absolutely no justice for little Peyton Fields. Not even a hint. Someone Everyone needs to use their voice and demand that justice be served on the person who did this to Peyton. Demand that law enforcement protect the community from this monster and allow the legal system to punish him for what he's done. If you know anything, if you've heard anything, please contact the Pender County Sheriff's Department at 910-259-1212. For all photos and maps pertaining to this case, check out Peyton's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about the full body heartbreak that is this case. 
If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, or for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. Thank you.